Okay, it's good to see you all today. I want to um, pick up on what we started as we were having communion. That Jesus became what we are in order that we might become what he is. And he did this on behalf of all of us. And I want to start by looking at Romans chapter 5. And it explains that concept to us. So Paul in Romans 5 and also in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he's going to talk about it a little bit as well, that Jesus became a second Adam. Adam, as you remember, was the first man that God created and put in the garden. And um, Adam and Eve, man and woman, created in the image and the likeness of God. They were like him. Because of their willful act of disobedience, they sinned against God and brought sin upon all of creation because God had placed them in authority over it all as his representatives. And when God gives gifts, they are truly given. He doesn't take them back. And when God gives gifts, we can use them, we can ignore them, we can abuse them, but they are given. And so God had placed Adam and Eve in a, an authority over all of creation, and when they sinned, all of creation was corrupted as a result of that. And the sad thing is in chapter 5 of Genesis, it says that Adam and Eve had sons, and they were in their image, which means fallen, uh, corrupt with a sin nature. And so that means that every single person from then on who's born in this world, we are born sinners. Um, before we've ever done anything, there is a disposition within us that tends to, to turn us towards sin. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish uh, or self-centered. That, that's a part of the sin nature that we're born with. And so Jesus came to die on our behalf. So Paul explains it very, very carefully in Romans chapter 5. He says, therefore, starting with verse 12, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came up to all men because all sinned. And then he goes on and he says in verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. So Adam was a pattern. Um, the word there is a type or an example or a template that everything else was to follow. So Adam became the template for all subsequent people. But the gift, the gift of God, is not like the trespass for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trans trespasses and brought justification. It means it's just as if you'd never sinned because of the blood of Christ. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, 
Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also might so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's explaining to us that Jesus became the representative of the human race in the same way that Adam had been representative. So what Adam had accomplished affected us all in the same way what Jesus Christ, God's one and only begotten Son, through his death and resurrection, impacts every single person because of who he is and what he did for us. Um, For us, the soul that sins shall die, but Jesus, who had no sin, died on our behalf and took our place so that we might have eternal life. And that life begins in this life. When we accept Christ as Savior, transformation begins to operate within our life. Now I want to use an allegory about that. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly, we will also bear the likeness of the heavenly body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so the important thing is that each one of us as sinful people need a rebirth. We need a spiritual birth in order that we might uh, receive Christ into our lives and receive the forgiveness and cleansing of sin. And then what the Holy Spirit does is from that point on, He begins to work in us, changing us and transforming us. Paul says, every day more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So we have a physical birth and we have a spiritual birth. There is a physical death and there is a possibility of a spiritual death. So the way it works is this way. If you're born twice, you only die once. If you're only born once, then you die twice. Physical, spiritual. Now everything Jesus did is something that is instructive for us. And I want us to begin with Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at Mary... Mary's a peasant girl in a little small town on the outskirts of Judah. Up in the north, Galilee of the Gentiles. Um, Most of the warfare came from the north in those days and they were the first to go into captivity. They were the last to be released from captivity. They were a border town um, with everything that that involves as we know very well. A lot of things come together that aren't necessarily good in the borders on both sides. And so that happens. And that's the area in which Jesus was raised. And so much so that later on when uh, Philip was talking to Nathaniel, Nathaniel said, when he found out that uh, Jesus was from Nazareth, he says, can any good thing come from Nazareth? Well, he ought to know he was from Canaan, just a few miles away. 
Nathaniel was. So um, that's the kind of place that he was born in. So Mary was just, she was a peasant girl. But there was something within her that God was going to use. Um, she was a, a very young, marriageable age young woman. Um, she was a virgin, tells us very carefully and clearly that. And she had a heart for God. And God began to work and speak to her. So as we open up in the book of Luke, God begins to step into history in a dynamic way that he had never done before. Now he starts off in a familiar way. He's, he tar- starts talking to an older couple, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who um, were priests and they were unable to have children. And now in their old age, uh, this is very much uh, the story of the patriarchs in the Old Testament. And you think about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. All of them had a similar situation here. He steps in and he does a miracle. And out of this miraculous birth that's coming uh, will become John the Baptist. God calls him before he's conceived. God calls him, tells Elizabeth and Zechariah what his name will be, and ordains him a prophet. Very much uh, like Jeremiah in that sense. Before conception, God calls these men and anoints them. And John's going to be the herald, the one who's going to be the, the one who's proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. And so Messiah in the New Testament is called Christ. Same word, uh, different language. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. It means the same thing, the anointed one from God. So six months after the the announcement to Elizabeth and Zechariah, we're picking up in Luke 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel. He's the one that he had sent to announce to uh, Mary, to Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah, the birth of John the Baptist. Gabriel, again, he comes to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favored. That word favored is the word grace. So in the Old Testament, when God was about to destroy the earth with a flood, it says, but Noah found favor, God, uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, and God is saying this to Mary. You are highly favored. You are, you are receiving the grace of God and God is with you. Now grace is something that is freely given. It's a free gift. You don't earn that. It's not something you deserve. It's something that God in his love and mercy freely gives because he loves us and so she is highly favored the grace of God is going to come upon her in a unique way Mary was troubled at the words wondered what kind of a greeting this might be but the angel says to her do not be afraid Mary you have found favor here it is again you have found grace with God you will be with child give birth to a son you are to give him the name Jesus He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. It's a tremendous promise. Mary has questions. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? 
at this point, she's still unmarried. Uh, never had sex outside of marriage. And she is an innocent and pure woman at this point. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary makes this incredible prayer. And I think heaven stopped and listened to this prayer, all of it. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. The counterpart to this is at the end of the Gospel of Luke when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Lord, let this cup pass from me if it's at all possible. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. That's what Mary just said. Be it unto me as you have said. And so she's making herself available to the Lord. So I wonder what happened the next day. Did you ever think about that? Did Mary wake up the next day and think, what happened? Was that just a dream? Was it something that I just imagined in my heart or in my mind? Uh, she had a very faithful, humble willingness to be used of God. Life goes on as usual. Um, outwardly, as far as she could see and feel, nothing happened. What did it mean? Dream? A vision? And yet, as you ladies can tell, uh, when conception takes place, things begin to change. It's not all at once, is it? It's very gradually, over a period of time. Changes begin to take place. At first, she's the only one that will notice those changes. But as time goes by, uh, those changes are going to be so obvious that everybody will know that there is something going on within her. Now, I want to use this as an analogy today because this is what happens when every single person is born again. It's a miracle. It's an act of God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. And He comes and He creates that within us which is not there to begin with. A heart that begins to long and yearn for God. He creates that. If we were left to our own devices, we would never seek after God on our own because we are selfish, self-centered people. And we think the whole world should revolve around how I feel and what I want. And if it doesn't, we become angry and we get upset and, you know, all the rest. I, that's the way it works in me anyway. So but what happens then is God begins to speak to us through His Holy Spirit and there comes a point where there is an acknowledgement and acceptance, a desire for God to do within us what He's promised. God creates the hunger and He creates the hunger because He's about to satisfy that. If you're dissatisfied this morning, praise God for that because it means that God is, has something for you. Something in addition to what you have. Something more than you ever dreamed or hoped or imagined. And He's inviting us to come and know Him in a deeper, closer way. And so, the angel has told her twice, 
All of this is because you have found favor, grace of God. Don't be afraid. There's changes coming. You will never be the same, but you don't have to fear because this is God working in you and he's going to work through you to bring blessing on everybody around you. And that's what it's for. Within my own experience, it was, it was just like Mary's in this sense. I accepted Christ as a young man and um, uh, Roy was there that night in a Youth for Christ rally in downtown Houston. I was 15. And um, we, uh, some of us went down to receive Christ as our Savior. And Roy was the first guy that met down there. And he was directing us to go where we could get somebody to pray with us and for us. And um, we did that. And I felt a burden lifted off of me. And I knew that something was different. I mean, even the, I, everything around me was different. Um, the colors were brighter and all this. And, you know, it was just God had done something in my heart. Um, and he put a love for his word in there that has never gone away. That was a gift. And it was a gift that I praise God for and thank him for every single day. Next day, um, I looked around and I thought everybody would be different. But everything else was the same. <laughs> and sadly, uh, there were things in me that hadn't changed either. You know, it wasn't a once-off, everything is going to be different. Now I was a sinful, sinful guy, now I'm a saint. That hadn't happened yet. <laughs> so there's a transformation taking place. And um, at first, outwardly, I don't think uh, too many people noticed a very big change. But I knew. I knew that there was something different in my heart because I began to look at people different. And I began to think differently. My attitude changed because God was changing it. It wasn't because somebody was telling me you have to do this and you can't do that. It wasn't any of that. It was, I don't want to do that anymore and I want to do this now. And, and uh, because God was changing me from the inside, changing the thoughts and the attitudes. And uh, there was a tremendous hunger for his word and I was in his word a lot. And uh, um, into his presence and we had good counselors and... and uh, people to mentor us I would say us because there was two or three of us guys uh, when we were 15 we're still close we're still close to this day uh, they are closer to me than my own family you know blood is thicker than water and, but I tell you what spirit is thicker than blood and um, um, yeah so that's been that's been a long a long time uh, so God was doing that within me. Something was changed. The life went on. Things began to change. At first, the changes were slow, only within my own self. But over a period of time, other people began to see that things were, were changing. And after a while, there were changes that had taken place that could not be hid. And this is true of all who have genuinely been born of the Spirit. You cannot hide it. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. You light a candle in the darkness and the darkness is going to know that that candle's lit. It is not dark anymore. It may be a darkness that can be felt like it was in Egypt, but even a very small light is very, very bright in the dark. And where there is a, a fire of God put within the person's heart and soul, you cannot hide that. It's going to come through. People will see it. And so it's a very neat thing because what it says 
is that this is a miraculous gift of God. Uh, we come up with the questions. Um, he tells Mary, she's wondering how this is going to be. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And God is going to become, is going to start forming the life of the Son of God in you. And Jesus did that in order that you and I might be called sons and daughters of God. And when we accept Christ as our Savior and we have this spiritual birth, then we become His sons and His daughters. We become part of His family. Because Christ is being formed within us. And so He says, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, listen to the vocabulary. Verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus, just before the ascension, talking to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Exact same words that Gabriel said to Mary about the birth of Christ. Now Jesus is telling these disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In the same way that the Holy Spirit came on Mary, because it's the same God, the same Spirit, who's creating the life of His Son in you and in me. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. He didn't say they're going to go out and witness. He said you will be the witness. It's your life that's the witness. And so when that life begins to be formed in us, it's undeniable. Uh, as you read through the Gospels, you're going to see there are several times when Jesus tried to get away and he tried to keep his presence hidden and it just says, but he could not. Because when Jesus is in a location, people know. Because it's the Spirit of God in him. And it attracts people. We talked last week about the, the demon-possessed man, the legion. You know, He's up there and he sees Jesus coming in the boat. And it says that when the boat came, this man ran to him. Jesus didn't go looking for him. This demon-possessed man came and fell at his feet because they knew who he was and they knew the power that was within him. And so when Jesus comes, uh, everyone knows it. And when Jesus is in you, people around you, they know that. Um, many times if you're a Christian and, you're, and you travel to different places and you're in, in strange places, maybe don't even know anybody there, but you meet someone, and all of a sudden, there's an instant rapport. All of a sudden, uh, there's something that you have in common, and you've never seen that person before in your life. And you find out that this person is a Christian, and then you understand. Part of the family. Part of the family. There's a bond that's there because of Jesus in them and Jesus in you. And it bears witness to it. So this new life created by God makes itself known, first of all, just to ourselves. Then as we grow in relationship to Christ, it grows and develops. God begins to give us maturity and the fruit of the Spirit. So it's again, as we said in the past, having an experience with Christ is just the beginning. It's like a birth. 
But the birth is not the end. That's just the beginning. The whole purpose of the birth is not just to be born. The whole purpose of the birth is that a new life is here and now this life begins to grow and develop, um, begins to mature, begins to be able to, to achieve and to be who God created them to be. And he never intended for us 30 years later to come back and still be in this infant form. But again, many of us as Christians, we come to know Christ as our Savior, we're born again, but we never go on to maturity. We're still doing the same things and acting the same way as when we first came to know the Lord instead of growing and progressing and knowing who He is and allowing Him to work in us and through us the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And so the fruit of the Spirit there, you know, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, these are things that should be growing and developing in us in our relationships with each other increasingly every day. That's the fruit of the evidence that the Holy Spirit is within us is that He begins to change us and form these things within us. If you look at the life of Christ, you see those things. He wasn't going around calling attention to Himself, making a big, de a big deal, but people received His kindness. They were in His presence and they knew His gentleness. Um, they saw His faithfulness. They saw His faith at work. They understood the relationship between father and son because of what they saw in him and what they experienced in his presence. And as we mature in Christ, as we walk with him, that should be the same testimony that you and I have as well. More and more, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, every day more and more into his image. That's what the Holy Spirit is working within us. More of him, less of us. And then he gives each one gifts. Everybody, every single person, gifts from God. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, um, miracles, healings. Um, those gifts, they've never stopped. Because Jesus in you and me is still here. And he does what he's always done. And he is what he always is. And so as he begins to work in and through us... Um, Again, Jesus didn't call attention to himself. You know, he had a word of wisdom from God. He didn't stand on the corner and say, oh, I have a word of wisdom, everybody. I'm a spiritual man. I have a word of wisdom here. I want you all to see how wise I am. He didn't do that. He just quietly spoke the word and it was true and it impacted people's lives. Or a word of knowledge or an act of faith. He didn't call attention to it. And oftentimes in the healings, your crowded place, you'll see, for instance, with the, the blind man, he took them off away from the crowd, quietly healed them. Didn't yell and shout, jump up and down, just quietly ministered life and healing and wholeness. And the result was people praised God for giving such gifts to men. Now that should be what's taking place in your life and mine as we walk with the Lord. The gifts of God evident and active, uh, not just in Sunday morning, but when we do business, when we're talking to people in the store, when we're cleaning our house, when we're dealing with our children, when we're talking to our husbands and wives. This should be the things that characterize our homes, our families, our business, the way that we live. And we should be growing each day closer and closer to who Jesus is. Uh, the communion that's there, Him speaking to us and opening up the Word of God to us. This is our food.
And the Holy Spirit is our life supply. And as he speaks in us and works in us and through us, we become more and more in his image. So the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit follow on and the focus is on the unity in the body of Christ. We need each other. And then one of the things that happened in Mary's life was as she began, um, people began to see this new life within her, it brought opposition and misunderstanding. And people who did not know judged her. They thought that she had done something sinful, that she was a sinful woman and she was not. But they judged her and condemned her and she had to walk that. And how can you explain what you've experienced like she did to somebody else? How can you explain that? You can't. And there is misunderstanding and there is condemnation. But in the midst of that, God did for her what he does for you and I. He gives her encouragers unlooked for and unexpected. These assurances and confirmations along the way. So, um, after a little while, she went to visit her aunt, her cousin, uh, Elizabeth. And she walks up to Elizabeth. John the Baptist is not even born yet. He's still in the womb. Mary walks up and the baby leaps inside the womb. G John the Baptist bore witness to Jesus before he was born. He knew the presence of Jesus, God's son. He sensed it. He knew it. And he bore witness before he was born. That's an incredible testimony. From before he was born, he knew who Jesus was. And um, the next time he bore witness was 30 years later. And John says, I wasn't sure who the Messiah was, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said that the Messiah is coming. He's going to be the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And he said, I saw that man. And the Holy Spirit bore witness. And he says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John said, I can bear witness that this is him. This is the one I've prepared for. This is the one I've waited for. This is the one I've longed for my whole life. And that is him. And he was right. And so Mary gets the encouragement of Elizabeth and the miracle that was taking place in her life. She has something that she can relate to a little bit. Then at the birth, remember the shepherds came. Um, this was something that was, this was done quietly. The, you know, this was no big deal. It, it was done in a corner in a barn and nobody was too excited about it except God and all the angels because the world would never be the same and so he announced it to, to shepherds simple ordinary people doing their job working at night they had the night shift and so the shepherds came proclaiming that they had seen an announcement from God and the angels and had heard the worship of the angels in heaven that's an incredible thing in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, out in the wilderness with the sheep. And the heavens are opened, and they hear the, and see the angels, and the choirs of heaven sing. And that's, that's a transforming thing. And so they went to see what God had announced to them, and they bore witness. 
few days later because Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, is just a couple of kilometers outside of Jerusalem. And being good Jewish people, parents, Joseph and Mary take Jesus for the circumcision and the name-giving and all of that, and there's Simeon. And God had borne witness to Simeon. He's an old man, almost as old as some of us in this room, not to mention any names. But he's an old man, and God had told him, and he had the assurance, you will not die until you see the Messiah. And now this was something that happened every single day in the temple. Uh, anybody close, they brought their newborn sons to the temple for this uh, ritual of circumcision and name giving. So there was people coming in, all these babies coming in, and all this kind of stuff going on. Simeon looked up and God said, it's this one. This one is different. This one is the Messiah. And he knew because God had revealed it to him. So Simeon comes up and bears witness and he tells Mary what's coming. And then as he's finishing, here's Anna, the prophetess, and she comes and bears witness. And so you have all these encouragement, these bearing witness that what God has begun, he's going to finish. Later on, maybe as much as a year or two, um, these foreigners, important men, uh, with all these gifts and riches and royalty and all of that kind of thing, they show up outside the door of this little place where they are. And they come down and these great men get down on their knees and worship this small child, Mary's son. Uh, a peasant boy in a peasant home with the rich and the famous on their knees worshiping him. So God has his witnesses. And that happens within our lives as well, doesn't it? As we grow, God sends us people to encourage us, to correct us, to guide us, to help us, to pray for us, to lift up our hands when they're weak, to draw us close and come looking for us when we stray. And I thank God for them. And so Jesus' baptism by John, then we hear the testimony from God himself. Holy Spirit comes down made visible in the form of a dove so that people would understand what was happening as a witness, God's testimony and the voice of God says this is my son whom, with whom I am well pleased this is my son and when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that's what God says this is a miracle, this is a revelation now you have become this is my son, this is my daughter with you I am well pleased because we're coming to know him and know who he is. So God wants to work that within us. Not just the birth, but the, the maturity, the growth, um, the receiving from him, his presence growing in us, working in us and through us to his glory and honor. And he lets us know. In the New Testament, Paul talks about it in Romans 8, Galatians 4. John talks about it, chapter 4, chapter 5 of 1 John. He talks about the witness of the Spirit 
He says, when you have Christ in your heart, the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit himself bears witness that you are a child of God. And then his spirit within us cries out to God, Abba, Father. And you know, you have the certainty that God has accepted you. And because of the blood of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, you are his son and daughter. And he lets you know. It's not a doubt. It's not a question. And he invites you to, to know who he is and to walk with him. And this is where the gifts and the fruit begin to grow and develop. Because he is at work in us and through us. Because he hasn't changed his mind from the very beginning. You and I are to be created in the image and likeness of God. What does that look like nowadays? It looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like. That's what it means to be the image and likeness of God. We bear his image. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you came to, to bear our sin that we might bear your righteousness. That you came and became a curse for us that we might receive the blessing and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand and to know, to experience for ourselves what it means to be loved by God. And that love that drives away fear, drives away confusion and torment, and brings peace and rest and wholeness. Help us, we pray, as we're bombarded with the sins around us, to remember who we are, to remember what you've done for us, and that by your grace, poured out upon us through your Son, we are your children. Help us to live it, to walk it, to believe it, to trust you, who has promised, because you are faithful. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.